<laughs> we just left the Waffle House. We destroyed that place. I'd like a Grand Slam with extra bacon. Yeah. Thanks again to Jeff for the gift card. That was awesome. Jeff, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah. And the good thing is, like, you can get, like, super full there for, like, 25 bucks for two, pe- two people. So uh, we got another trip in us. Yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. I'm excited about it because that just means there's more Waffle House in the future. Yeah, we might even stop there for lunch. Oh, this is it. I saw them making lunch food for the first time. I've never I didn't even know there was a back to this menu. You know, there's certain times in life where you realize you've only just touched the tip. This is one of them because I now know they have everything that's not breakfast. Yeah, but wouldn't you get a waffle anyway? Probably. I'd just say, can you take the sandwich and make it a waffle yeah, with a sandwich in the middle? That's a good idea. Yeah. Have you ever heard of um smwaffles? Only because of the picture that you sent me that I haven't had yet. They're amazing. So I'm not trying to let the cat out of the bag here. Um, but one of my buddies loves s'mores. And, you know, the thing about a s'more is that, that the um, graham cracker just crumbles the first bite, right? And then there's just, it's a mess trying to hold on to it. But if you take two Eggo waffles, drop them in your toaster real quick while you're, you're um, roasting your marshmallow on the fire. This is assuming that you have like a little fire pit in your backyard. You're obviously not doing this on a camp out. Uh, but yeah, then you can use more chocolate because uh, obviously a waffle is bigger than half a graham cracker. And you can use two marshmallows and oh man, it is perfect. And it's got chocolate retention pockets. Yeah. <laughs> oh <laughs> Once it starts gosh. melting. Oh man. Sorry, yeah. Matt. I, I know you had this grand business plan to somehow <laughs> monetize the waffle. <laughs> market <laughs> but i don't think if it hasn't happened in 10 years kellogg, i don't think it's happening kellogg should just not listen to this episode <laughs> yeah. We, yeah lego my swaffle swaffle <laughs> <laughs> oh man so yeah i'm feeling pretty good too i'm feeling really really good yep. um got a, a decent night's sleep so it was pretty good uh, I wanted to chat about i want to talk about mental strategies and go a little bit more i don't mean mental like Oh, overthink it. This is exactly where people can think this would be a boring topic. I know you and I really dig this. And we dig it because it's, frankly, hard to do, but it's very easy to do in in another sense. Yeah, I don't think people think it's boring. I think that's what they expect us to talk about, to be quite honest. Yeah. (laughs) I, I would say as a new shooter, so maybe this is kind of where I would position this from, like, beginner, intermediate, advanced. It applies to all of them. But it's definitely something that the beginner is going to struggle thinking that the mental game will be a major benefit. An intermediate shooter will recognize that it it has a very positive upside, but will struggle to focus on it all the time. And an advanced shooter will recognize that it's arguably the most important aspect of match day performance and even you know other areas of your your prep. You know, like your hashtag, right? Yeah. You know, the match has already started is a mindset. Own it every day is a mindset. And that strategy, when it comes down to shoot, understand a course of fire, beep, uh, you know, everything that happens just prior and just after the, that single beep is what leads you to either feel great about the last 10 shots, great about the last 100 shots in a one-day match, poorly, or feel like that one shot you just missed was why did I miss that? You focus on it too much and it can really start to drag your mental energy down. It can drag your enthusiasm, your positivity and, and really harm what would have been a spectacular match. So I want to talk about this in the context of a match that we recently shot, you know, the KM precision rifle challenge, along with a few others where in this season so far, we've had a lot of matches that have gone really well for both of us. We've also had matches that we both wanted back in, in one sense or another, we found great things to work on leaving mm-hmm. the match. But I wanted specifically to think about or to discuss the the approach to training your mental game and also how you apply those techniques on the clock and how yeah. you, like, in a match to gain points. Because, I mean, well, just, I'm just going to say it. The, the match at Collis, I believe, was one, uh, you know, you finished third, I finished first. It was one because of mental toughness it's it's different you know at the Collis match because it is considered one of the easier hard matches and I say easier I don't mean it's perceived that way it is in my mind one of the hardest matches for a completely different reason you are afforded no margin of error 
Mm-hmm. If you drop a shot, it feels like you drop 10. If you drop 10, it feels like you don't even belong there. Yeah. And there were lots of top shooters that dropped 10 to 15 on day one and out of 11 stages, which is, is pretty good. It's like dropping one per stage, right? Yeah, nines um, out of 10. And then they come off feeling like, you know, like you just said, they don't even deserve to be there. I, I didn't feel that way. And maybe that's kind of what we're going to unpack a little bit. Exactly. Um, I, I dropped 10 shots on day one, and I didn't feel awesome about four or five of those shots, but but I knew that it didn't matter um, because for somebody else to drop less than that and perform on day two is pretty slim chance, right? I mean, exactly. people people have a hard time keeping their head in the game for 200 rounds. And, man, if they had three-day matches that were cumulative, I think there'd be even less and less competitors that could stick it out and you'd whittle this whole field down to like 10 people max. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. The longer you stretch out the time that your brain has to be engaged and giving you the option, Hey, you want to look at this half glass full or half glass empty? Uh, the more opportunities you're going to choose glass half empty and it just takes more energy to stay positive or to stay with it as you go glass half empty. So, um, you know, this is where I think the K&M matches specifically. Um, Oops, sorry. I no, I got my it. Stand. Um, I tightened it a little bit. The K&M match is unique. You know, because you have such a low margin of error, you come off of a stage, let's say the tires, where it it is probably nobody. I don't think anybody cleaned it. Nobody cleaned that okay, stage. Okay, so nobody cleaned that stage. That was a, that was a a pivotal stage for the whole match. Yeah. So nobody cleans it out of the entire match, but you come away with it. You get say a seven, an eight, or a nine. On a nine, you're still there's a, a feeling of disappointment that happens when you miss any shots in, at a precision rifle match because that's just how we are. We we expect to hit the target. When we don't hit it, there's an immediate sense of what? Why did I miss? And overcoming that, why did I miss? Is not you can answer it two ways. Oh, I did something wrong, and in a negative way, or ooh, I need to find what changed. And it's kind of like an optimistic way of thinking about the exact same outcome when the two shooters who both got say eights come off the line and one of them misses two shots on the near targets one of them misses two shots on the far targets the reason i'm bringing those two this stage specifically up is the sub one moa targets we were shooting at up close for someone who's really gifted with a precision rifle that they know shoots tiny groups they feel ultra confident in the, their ability to hit a 450-yard target that's right around a 1 MOA or a little less. When they miss those two, your confidence can be destroyed mm-hmm. instantly by seeing it miss when you've been hammering targets all day. And then all of a sudden, what feels like a very stable position on a very stable prop with very mild winds, you miss. Your immediate reaction can either be A, something's wrong, my zero's off, I didn't break a good shot, wind switched, put all these extrinsic factors on it. Or it can be an intrinsic, you know, control factor, something that you have the ability to control, you know, an external factor versus an internal factor. The internal factors are, did I place my rifle properly? Was it on NPA? Meaning, was the rifle neutral to the target as I was about to break the shot? Or was it, if I let it go a little, like you're, you're going to talk about, I know I'd love to hear you talk about this more, was the rifle exactly on point of aim, or did it drift left, drift right, drift up, drift down without is without input from you? And if the answer to that is it moved just a little or wants to move a little, it's more likely that you're not going to hit your point of aim because of any motion of the gun during the time that the gun is recoiling. And I, while the bullet's in the barrel, it's moving, therefore your point of aim is moving. Therefore your point of impact is moving. Mm-hmm. And the other person who goes to say 908, they missed two shots there. For the exact same reason, say, that their bag, they were forcing the bag just a little bit, except they perceive that to be, oh, the wind shifted. Oh, the wind shifted this way. Now there's an external, again, an external factor that's not letting them see the result for what it really was. The result was a product of your fundamentals and your execution of a, of a shot that hurt you, and you made a correction based on it. It caught me off guard on that stage. I, I felt not perfect on the bag first shot second shot third shot and fourth shot i felt great it was on the fifth shot so target three and i started to notice it just didn't feel right as i panned back like the gun was trying to roll a little to the right and it was tight on the bag and i didn't correct it i still hit the target then i went up to the far target and missed and i'm like that's odd 
I, you know, I thought maybe the wind switched. And then I came back to the near and I'm like, gosh, it feels funny again. And then I missed the near target. And I went back to the far target, hit it, went back to the near, hit it, went back to the far and thought I saw a condition change, didn't account for it, didn't correct for it because, I'm, again, I thought it was, you know, not needed to correct and, and missed. It went a little bit the other direction. And the scenario played out exactly as I knew it shouldn't have. Um, I didn't correct my bag. I didn't readjust to make a new flat surface. Like you saw me placing my bag on that, and I think you mentioned it right after I came off the stage. I watched you put your bag up I there. Thought, you yeah. made it so flat and so incredibly clean. Like you looked awesome. Yeah. So the cool thing about that, um, the difficult thing about that, and the cool thing about that tire is it was a tractor tire, and the uh, the treads were offset. Um, yes. So if you just threw your bag up normally, like you would on a prop, uh, squared off to the target or ninety degrees to that, you your bag would have been unsettled let's say but i saw you walk up there and those treads are on like a 45 degree angle whatever and you you tucked them in on that 45 degree angle and that is what has to happen in my opinion it needs to the fill needs to be settled and and happy so i was like okay that was perfect and then you use your hand you smoothed it out leveled the plane to the targets then you set your rifle on and then we both used the rear bag in that position yep um and you were under the grip i think and i'm i was farther forward on the front bag so i was able to get it under my buttstock uh, just gave me a little bit, you know, the, the points of pivot points were farther away from each other. I felt pretty good about it. Um, so yeah, the bag placement in that, I really, like I told you after that stage, I was like, man, you were set up for success. Like you looked rock solid. <coughs> yeah. I, and I, I looked rock solid and I felt rock solid for the first four, almost five shots. And then it started to change a little. And this is where mental, when we talk about mental game, you know, we're talking about it in the context of call it a three or four different venues so there's the match preparation how strong are how strong is your ability to take all of the collective information that your rifle you your rifle system can give you your speeds your velocities your truing your data all of that how good are you at just keeping all of those important pieces of information at your fingertips so you can help diagnose things as you're moving forward and feel confident that you have the best system to perform to your best on that day, right? And then the next context is once you, as you're approaching the match and you're ready to leave, did you did you do all the things that you need to be prepared for that match? Do you have all your ammo? Do you have your food, your gear, your backup plans for rain? Like all of those little things. So that's as you're leaving. You arrive at the match. How do you stay focused and engaged during the match, sort of stage to stage, where you don't get distracted with the and I'm going to say distracted, it's maybe a harsh word, but there's a lot of conversations that happen and camaraderie and fun and jovial, you know, poking and things at people. Um, this is a good topic. Yeah, that's really, <laughs> that's really useful because it gives, it gives us friendships and we, we gain a lot out of it. But there is also a balance that has to occur so that you can perform at your best. You, I think we all need to find the exact level of... I'm going to call it distraction that we're willing to accept to perform at our peak because there's only so much we can take. Yeah, we both have very similar approaches to this. Um, you use your earbuds and music now, and people may seem may talk to you and seem like you're being standoffish, but it, it's not. You're just not hearing them because you. Oh, there was yeah. multiple times through the weekend where they made some, you know, funny or or cool comment, or you know, they were trying to interact with you, and you just were stone cold. And I'm like, hey, guy. He, he didn't hear you. He's not ignoring you. Yeah. <laughs> he has his, his music on. And so... <laughs> yeah, to my I, apologies. Anybody who hears this, if you ever talk to me at a match and you see two little black uh, earbuds sticking out of my ears, there's a 96% chance that they are more or less blaring music. Yeah. I hear nothing. Yeah. So, and that's not by design trying to ignore people. There are times where I do that. That's if I have my head, you know, tilted down and I'm looking at more or less the three, four feet in front of me. That's me doing something focus-wise. I'm transporting my... I'm trying to get into a different lane where I'm working with my gear. If I'm just standing there looking through glass and I don't nod, or if I'm if I'm doing something with a rifle, A to B, transporting it, putting mags, where I'm doing anything with my dope or data, I'm probably not at a place where I'm going to hear you or I'm actively tuning out any sounds other than the music for a reason. Um, but if I'm just sitting there spotting through glass and then kind of looking around, I'm... Yeah, feel free to chat, but it's just I I apologize to anybody who thinks that that's a bad thing. Yeah, I was just <laughs> uh, I was just commenting on it in yeah. case people notice. But I you and it. I use a sim a similar 
vehicle for um, just staying in a positive mental state, and that's music. Um, my music has been has gone back to the speaker these days because I got these Trophy Ear uh, molded Ear Pro, and they're active, so I can amplify the surroundings a little bit, so my music doesn't have to be as loud. I think Adam Leenberger <laughs> said. Uh, made a comment on Sunday. He's like, you know, I didn't shoot that well on Saturdays because your music wasn't loud enough. <laughs> it's like, okay, we'll just turn <laughs> it up on Sunday. But but it brings up a good point because you want to be in a squad that has a positive energy. Um, there's no reason to show up to a stage and have everybody be down about the target size or down about the prop being wobbly. Like none of that is is constructive for your mindset. And as soon as you start thinking that a stage is going to be difficult, it will be difficult. Whether you're thinking about the wind or, you know, how many targets you have to engage or the, you know, the time constraints. Like, I do feel like you and I shoot together a lot because we stay positive. We like hanging out with each other. And and when we squad with people, we want to squad with people that aren't going to be negative, drama creating, um, you know, mental mental drainers. Yeah, Yeah, taking more energy than they give. Yeah. So, and it's not that we are you know, trying to find a super squad or build, you know, this, um, group of guys that are, you know, elite or whatever, like I'll shoot with anyone. I don't care, but I really want to stay in a positive frame of mind because anything else can distract you and drag you down and everything is positive. Even if I miss a shot, I'm not dwelling on it. I may for like 30 seconds while I'm grabbing my brass and loading my mag, just making sure that I learned something from it. Um, and you and I had an interaction this last oh, weekend, we did. <laughs> and it it was I think it was understood back I knew and forth right, right away. away. <laughs> yeah, I knew it right away, and I'm I. It was more so. I'll explain what happened. We were on a, a stage. It was at Collis, and the there was a diamond stage going out. It's a troop line. You could shoot a big diamond, then a small diamond, go out to the next array. Keep doing that. Prone. I mean, pretty straightforward. Diamonds are relatively generous size on the big one not big on the small two the the first two targets were proportionally very small um i forget the exact size i think he said six inches but they were at 500 something i mean it was 500 like 600 650 700 750 or something along those lines yeah it was a diamond troop line with yeah. big small so it, i mean it was very straightforward diamonds. well chad bam center punch boom blows one off the right to my eye blows it off the right side just barely next one bam next one way off the right side and I'm like kind of perplexed at this because those were so uncharacteristic, uncharacteristically right, and that I, um, I'm like following this mentally, and I'm waiting till he gets done. And as soon as he's done, he gets it. He drops two, and I know like my mag like, wasn't even out of my rifle yet. No, and <laughs> it hit the ground. I came around the rifle. Like, what did you do on the first and second diamond? What was your change? And I immediately needed to know that because I was trying to pick up information as to what happened on the range, what he was seeing. I knew where he should have been holding. He should have been holding center to center, left to tenth. And then to have one go off the right point, I'm like, did he correct right? And he said he saw it off the left. I saw it the other way, and I was directly behind him. So I can't tell whether it was, did I see it wrong or did he see it wrong? There was a reason I'm asking. Well, and he immediately went, I don't want to talk about it, not right now. It just, like, I instantly knew, like, as I was putting the words out of my mouth, he needs more than five to ten seconds to process what just happened. For his own, you know, his own plan, because we all have a routine we go through from the time we fire a shot. He needs to collect his thoughts, rethink what he needs to gather, gather the important pieces of information from the stage, what his working plan is to correct for the next shots. And I didn't give him that time. And I felt horrible as soon as no, I started. No, it wasn't a big deal. I felt horrible about my I, response. And I'm not normally like that. I, I honestly just, friend to friend, I, the way I took it was that you were trying to help me see what happened there and what happened in my mind was i just read i read the misses wrong because there wasn't a backer and, and there was water yeah, there, was and there was just weird stuff so it wasn't going to be constructive in my opinion for me to go through and see how i read those wrong because i just read them wrong i did yeah <laughs> and it was there was no benefit for me and i had already brain dumped it um didn't realize that you were trying to figure out for your own benefit but you really didn't need that information for your own benefit you knew what to do no i had already shot it um, okay. okay so i was i was trying to understand like a was there something going on for your it was the last stage of the day is there something going on in his rifle or you know potentially something different that i can help him be aware of but also if there isn't 
what's why is his point of impact so different than mine in the same condition because it looked the same to me yeah. I'm like okay maybe there's something going on with my rifle and I just getting lucky and you know lucking willing these things in and we're about to go into the day two this is the last stage of day one we got to put our rifles away and go cold turkey come back and start hammering down well we did tough stages um, well, there was a zero board there so that was a perfect opportunity Correct. for both of us to punch a hole in a paper my my main concern for um, for that was elevation because those were diamonds and I just was maybe I saw it wrong because I was either high or low and, and we both probably saw something similar but the elevation made it look worse than it really yeah. was so I just punched a hole in, in the paper and the exact point of aim so I'm like well it's not elevation it's it was just either NPA or the bag the the, the torque in the system or something and yeah. I just left it left it behind me so yep we both uh, checked our zeros and and that was it for the day. We were ready, so, to, ready to go home. I really like what you said about the squad energy. And if more people more often could be could curb check their negative sentiments, I think we would have a lot better shooters mm. across the board. Because there is something, if you've ever, there's a really good thought experiment, right? If you walk into, if, let's say, I guess a job, oh, here you go, family reunion with in-laws that you are really not excited to be at, right? <laughs> Um, you walk into that, you're immediately like, oh, gosh, here we go. Like if, And not to say that I don't like my in-laws, not at all. But, I mean, we've all had experiences of different places, whatever the heck it would be. Coworkers. Coworkers, whatever. going to work, going to a meeting that you're really dreading, you know, the, um, you know, the annual um, wine mixer. Catalina wine mixer. <laughs> uh, but you have this expectation of what's going to occur and what's going to transpire. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, for the most part, your expectations are usually met (laughs) one way or the other. If you expect to be a good time, you're probably going to have a pretty good time. If you expect it to be a really bad time, you're likely going to more likely to see it as a really bad time. And the same thing is true when you put more people together. There's a group thing that starts to occur. Mm -hmm. If there's more than, you know, 60, 70 percent of the guys are kind of negative and you hear them talking negative all the time. It takes very the power of suggestion is incredibly strong and it and that's part of the reason i to be fair this is part of the reason i started using earbuds to drown out and not be able to hear people when someone comes off a stage and says man oh i just you don't know what happened the wind switched back and forth when i hear that Mm -hmm. it makes my blood turn over my skin crawl my hair tingle because it's always changing like what do you expect like it's never going to be the same Mm -hmm. even when it's the same it's not the same and being putting the mindset and putting you know reinforcing with a physical statement, not just thinking that the wind may have switched on you, but reinforcing it with oh the wind switched and saying it in a way that it's like it's unexpected or that it caused you an error that you shouldn't you weren't afforded and like you shouldn't have had that. That's the to me the death knell of your competition mindset. Yeah, and I like how we're talking about squads because we can keep going on this stuff, and it's not necessarily a squad thing. But the shirts and the um, oh the, yeah. the, the cheap yeah. piece that say like "Don't suck," like that is the opposite of what I want to hear. Like, don't tell me not to do things bad. I want to talk about how to do things good, and it's just a simple flip of the of how you're framing something, right? You know, do do good, <laughs> do good. Don't suck is different than do good, um, in my opinion, because the word "suck" is in your brain and it doesn't need to be there. So. I can't remember what. I hope I'm not, you know. Yeah, anybody who has those shirts, just feel free to use them as rags. Pacific Range or whatever, but um, I don't remember. I do like the MDT slogan. um, Shoot better. Yeah, it's the same kind of concept, but it's like it's a positive statement. You know, everybody can shoot better. So, so props to whoever an MDT came up with that. I really like that. Um, That that statement is clear, concise, and is what you need to be doing. Everybody needs to shoot better. Um, so I see those types of phrases in, in various forms on people's shirts, and I do think it bleeds into their mindset. So um, people may think we're being, uh, I don't know, overcritical or or like narrow-minded. Almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but I can tell you that if you fill your mind with positivity, um, you're you're going to perform better. I, I just I just feel it in my core. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I just thought of. Ironically, if someone that's listening is really, really negative, they're like, no, this can't work. You're right. Like, like You're right. <laughs> you see what I mean? There's, there's almost no way to prove this point other than 
doing it. And if you haven't, I, I can say this as someone who has historically been very negative in context, uh, you know, years ago, from always a little bit pessimistic, hypercritical, hyperanalytical, and looking for the flaw. I still have those traits and I have worked my tail off mm-hmm. to not follow those traits and move down a different path, which is, okay, there's a challenge involved. What's the challenge? And that means there's a solution. So what do I have to do to make this solution more in line with what I was expecting? Mm-hmm. And the outcome more in line with what I was expecting. And that is a really, it's a, it's a life change. There's I, a, I can't say that any other way. There's a fine line too. Like a lot of these alpha males um, in, are in the sport. Um, and I always say that I'm an A minus personality. Like I have a very strong opinion and, and drive and, and all those things, but um, I don't get into heated debates because you know it's not constructive. If people can't talk respectfully to each other, I'll just disengage. Um, and that's just my personality. If you guys have hung out with me, you know that. But but there's a lot of the sarcastic jeering and and you know I don't know that's kind of how a lot of the, the shooters react and respond to each other. And that's all fun. But to some people, they take that personally, even though they don't let them other person know that. And, uh, yeah, they may not show it. Yeah. They may not show it, but sometimes those, those things can get and get stuck in your brain and you carry them, uh, onto the stage with you. So I don't know, I guess just choose how you want to, how you want to interact with other people and who you want to hang around with. But, um, yeah, I'm not saying it's <laughs> it's the end of the world to to not do that stuff or not not say those types of things uh, because we all need to have thick skin too. Like that's the other portion of it. Yeah. Is, you know, uh, you know, walking down the line. This is two years now. So last year at I want to say it was either AG or uh, it wasn't. A, it may not it wasn't AG. It was I think Collis last year. Um, Kenny was walking by, and I mean from across the parking lot, hundred yards away. I'm coming for you, Francis. Like. <laughs> I mean, I was in the lead and, and on day one and coming into day two, he saw me from a parking lot and yelled that and barely caught my attention. And then I did see it. And then he said it again. And I'm like, yeah, that stuck with me for a while, mm-hmm. you know, and I know, I know what he's doing. It's, it's nothing. I mean, we're, we're friendly and we're banter back and forth and we try to give each other challenges. Well, ironically, this last match, I walked by day two, see him sitting <laughs> on the fence for his first season. I'm coming for you, buddy. Yeah. You I'm guys like, were both cool. smiling. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was... You know, you it's nice because we can take all of those little statements or the outcomes that we see, and if you internalize them and you start focusing, and this is where we talk about the mental game, it's where you put your attention, where you put your focus. I could have taken that statement, and it did, it did think about it for about 10 steps, mm-hmm. and all I thought was every single step was, yeah, you're going to come, but you're still going to come up short. Like, I'm <laughs> going to come after it. You can chase me all you want. Um, I, it was a... But it was a conscious choice to try to put one foot in front of the other and then just get it out of my mind quickly and smile about it and be happy that that was occurring and then just boop, yeah, gone. There's and it has somebody, to be gone. There's somebody that came up to me like right before the last couple stages. I'm not going to say who it was. And they're like, how, how many, how are you doing? How many down? I'm like, I'm doing pretty good. Um, but I'm not going to tell you how many I'm down. And he's like, why not? I'm like, because I'm pretty sure you want to know. <laughs> and he's like, "Yeah, it motivates me." I said, "Yeah, that's why I'm not yeah, telling that's why you." I'm not telling you. Find some other motivator. And we were both smiling. I yeah. think I, I came back afterwards. I was like, "You know what? I, I wasn't really trying to be a jerk there. I thought it was kind of funny, and yeah. I thought it might stress you out a little more if I said <laughs> I didn't know. I uh, want to tell you, but to be quite honest, I didn't know because yeah, I, I didn't don't know care. Either. I don't care how many points I'm down, and I know there's a lot of people and some really uh, excellent shooters that do track other people's points throughout the day and. It's just mental energy I don't want to spend, um, and it doesn't. I found it doesn't make me shoot better. Um, it can only make me shoot worse, and that's just my personal experience. So um, I'm working on that personally. That's just a little bit of you know me sharing. My, yeah. <laughs> it's not necessarily a weakness of mine. It's just I don't see any benefit to it, so I don't I don't add up points. I just know when I feel good about how many points I've dropped and when I don't feel good about some of the points I've dropped. And I've kind of just have a, a litmus test there to see if I think I'm, I'm doing my job or not. Yeah. I think if anybody needs to know where somebody else is shooting, just call Morgan King. Yeah. He'll even if he's it. not He'll at the match. He'll know right away. Yeah. Even if he's not at the match. Like, he knew, you know, how we were doing at all the last matches without even being there. Yeah. So, 
Just ask Morgan. He's and already that, got your total. That drives him. I mean, that yeah, motivates it, it him. It pushes just, him forward. But yeah. that's so. This is when we talk about mental game. This is a really good example of how the same characteristic, the same approach, works very differently for two different people. Mm-hmm. You know, we push away from the idea of tracking points. I'm just working stage to stage, shot to shot. Morgan, on the other hand, relishes in trying to figure out where other people are at, so that he can mentally keep track of what's happening with the match and start playing the odds in his favor. And he put he had a podcast that was really good, and it talked about if I think you know I can add a tripod and potentially drop one and time out on one, so to speak. So I'll go you know nine for ten, but time out, and you just shot a seven without it. Hell yeah, you can bet I'm using a tripod even if it's deploy on the clock because there's a very good chance I won't time out, but I know I'll get at least nine, mm-hmm. and I'm hundred percent confident. And you know, the mental game that he's using is essentially one of analytics and stats to an extent. He's working his tail off to get all of these small percentages advantage yeah, when, wherever they're possible to gain. Yeah, reducing the chances, too, that there could be mistakes made or, or failures. So, Yeah, yeah. so hindsight, I, I, I've thought about that interaction because, I, I don't know, I saw the look on his face when I said that, and I kind of felt bad. Like, I, I don't want to lie to someone, So, I, but, but honestly, if I would have said, yeah, I'm not doing that great. It probably would have been to my benefit because I feel like if he, if it motivated him to know that I was down only three points at that point or four points, whatever it was, after I looked back at it, um, he might have you know pushed a little harder and come up and beat you even. Uh, but yeah. if I would have said, you know, I'm I'm not I'm doing okay or I'm not doing great, <laughs> I just can't lie to someone. I just yeah, I, I'm not gonna. So I just chose to say yeah, I'm I'm not. I didn't add it up and didn't. Uh, it doesn't matter to me, which is true. Yeah, and I know roughly where I'm at, like probably plus or minus a point or two. I'm not keeping track that hard, though, either. And it's it's because we don't control other shooters. The motivation, is if it's external, will always limit your potential. Yeah, that's, and that's a good way to say it. And that's why I don't, yeah. I, I really struggle with the idea that, oh, Morgan is down three. That means I can only go down two. And you drop well, you got wrapped stage. up like, in that, that, doesn't, that doesn't Vortex, work. right? Yeah, ah, yeah. A little bit. Oh, yeah. And it was exactly the same situation, only it was per stage. Not the entire match. Just, I mean, I could tell I was bleeding shots. And it's really difficult to break out of that mindset. Once it starts, if you're, if you're affected by it, oh, it's real hard to get out of it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like it because there is nothing that I can look out. If I'm looking outside and I have to find an external motivator, it's the worst possible it's... motivator you can put you don't have control. For being there, because there's no control over things outside of you. So mm-hmm. what Kenny does, or Dave does, or, or Chad, or Morgan, or J- Viber, like, it doesn't matter, because on any given day, we are the ones that control how we settle the bag. We are the ones who control how we doped our rifle. We are the ones that control all the inputs, all the outputs, and all the things in between to put a round on target. We can't control the wind, but neither can anyone else. We can read it. We can do our best to try to guess at what it was before the first shot and what it's after the first shot. We pretty much know. If it's changing, we're hoping we kept enough indicators to make good corrections. But again, if you are asking where you're at, or you at, and this is another pet peeve of mine, which I think is leads to the mindset. If you ask somebody towards the, let's say, end of day one, this always happens at the end of the day, generally, day one. Definitely the end of day two, but more so uh, end of day one. Oh, yeah, man, how was the match? You having fun? That's how I usually start interactions like this. I hear, yeah, oh, man, I dropped. Boom. I mean, yeah, man, I dropped. It's four sentences in, four words in, and we've already gone down a negative path. Like, mm-hmm. I dropped ten points on this stage, or two points on that stage, or I did this bonehead thing. Well, there is no room for that. Well, I mean... Not the way that that's it comes the, across. That's what... That, yeah. That's what the question was, though. Like, how many did you drop? That's no, usually no, no, no. the that's, question yeah, people come what up. They're used to hearing what <laughs> I said. What I usually ask is the other way oh, around. Oh, I see what you're saying. I ask, "Hey, man, how was the match? You having how fun? Was the day? Like, how was the day?" And I, if somebody asks that of me, like, "Yeah, I had a really good day. You know, I hit a bunch of targets. Found mm-hmm. some things to work on, but I hit a bunch of targets." They are the same sentence said the same way, but with completely different intents. Mm-hmm. One is meant to show misery loves company. One is meant to say, "I love this sport." yeah, I got some cool things to work on, so I'm not perfect. Mm-hmm. And I, I prefer the I have some things to work on, and I had a blast doing it because it, it gets you pumped for the next day. It gets you pumped for that evening. It doesn't leave you going to bed wishing, 
oh, if I had only, like, yeah, trying to change the past. What's our response? <laughs> I mean, the typical responses yeah. to when people come back and say, oh, I did this bad, I did this bad. My response, because I don't know what else to say, is, well, tomorrow's another day. I mean, you can either carry that that sentiment that you're feeling right now to tomorrow, or you can just wipe it away, have a couple beers, go to bed, mm-hmm. and make tomorrow a new day. I mean, you might not climb up to the top of the leaderboard, but you might learn something more than if you showed up carrying that mindset into day two. I'm just saying there's a badass flag. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. That is so cool. Too, too uh, bad it's at half huge... mass. Yeah, yeah, it is. But it's for the weekend. Um, mm-hmm. It's like a 50-foot-tall flag, 50-foot-wide flag. It's huge. huge. It's huge. huge. Um, I love seeing red, white, and blues. Mm-hmm. They're cool. Um, so, yeah, mindset. So we've talked about mindset on a stage. I, want, I guess I want to maybe deep dive into this because we still got some time, right? Where are we at, like 35, 40 minutes? Yeah. So I want to talk about stage, and this is hyper-specific. Mm-hmm. Training your brain on the stage during the during the stressors of clocks, prioritizing what you do and when you do it in a positive way. And this is a really small. This is like micro, um, you know, micro emotions. That's what I would hmm. call them, if you will. You break Sounds a shot. Cool. I know. I, I there's micro emotions is actually a real thing, but it's with facial expressions. If I remember correctly, it's like real. You you tend to like. If you're trying to smile but you don't like the person that you're talking to, there's a very quick <laughs> moment where you frown or if you're upset with them, like you'll frown as if you're angry and then go to a smile. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's real or not. Some people thought it was hokey, but I remember seeing it. There's, like, I think, a whole show based around it, like a fictional show. But at any rate, micro-expressions, uh, micro-emotions. I'm talking about um, the emotions that you experience for split seconds. Uh, if you think about what happens is you from the time the beep to the let's say the end of the first shot just for example right as they're shoot understand course of fire you're maybe doing your pre-shot routine yep and you you kind of you were maybe anxious just prior you start doing your pre-shot routine looking at your parallax your dope and you start you may still be a little nervous but the the function of checking your parallax checking your dope all of that takes over a little bit of the emotion and mm-hmm. you get into sort of in least for me I get into a little bit of a, yep, this is normal, okay, work mode, so to speak. I'm a little focused, but I'm not, I'm no longer yeah, as You're nervous. focusing on the process, so the emotions are Correct. in the background. They get suppressed just for a split second. Okay, that's all good. Should understand the course fire? Yes. All right, go ahead and load, make, ready. Again, more process. But right in that little gap, before they say, as soon as I say yes, I feel just a little spike of, ooh, okay, that means it's almost go time. And then load mag. And as I'm loading, pulling my chamber flat and loading the mag, Again, it drops off a little because that's a normal process. As soon as I have that out, okay, is the shooter ready? Now I have to respond affirmatively, and I feel that little bit of kick of adrenaline again. Now it's go time. Like, mm-hmm. Again, then I wait, and I'm looking at my timer. I do another real quick check of my reticle lens and a couple other things, and then timer, exhale. <sighs> now I'm, what I'm trying to do in that split second, about two to three seconds, is pull my adrenaline spike down while just focusing on the target and going, I want there. I imagine placing a bag. I imagine seeing the target. Imagine the rifle falling onto the target. That's the only thing I do for that one little, one mini, one second. Yes, shooter ready. Beep. As soon as I hear that, as soon, I'm actually calmer as soon as I hear the beep than I am right before the beep. I was thinking if we could hook up some one brainwave monitor to people's brains with that beep sound and see what the... <laughs> that would be so would be. cool. And then, then as you're talking, I'm like, well, how can we desensitize ourselves to to that? Like, we could beep that. We could play that beep sound for positive reinforcement. Yes. Like, f- find a way. I haven't. I'm just thinking about this right now, so I don't know where this is. <laughs> where I We're could going off Where the I cuff. could insert this, but if I could put that exact beep from those damn blue timers <laughs> somewhere in life to reinforce a positive behavior so that it desensitizes me to that. I would like to find that out. I think I know how. Yeah. We <laughs> no. That one. Just okay. do it every time. Okay. Yeah, I don't Just know. I was play all the sound buttons. I couldn't remember which one was which. They're backwards <laughs> from my angle. Yeah, and that was so way loud. Yeah. But yeah, if we could definitely... Put, that's a good point. Like We could put it in the podcast all the time. Like, positive... <laughs> 
Beep. For, for positive comments or positive. I think it's a smart idea. Like, yeah. I want to look. I'm going to. Because then we're helping everyone. One. We get everyone on the podcast listening and they hear that beep. Like, oh, that was a cool comment. And then we play that beep. Like, they Ooh, start associating. Yeah, they start associating that sound with something that is comfortable and not stressful. Yeah, so. beep followed by a woo! Woo-hoo! Something like cool. <laughs> yeah, I could see this being a, a neat little experiment for sure. Um, so that's just the first stage. I have it, I've now just, that's to the beep. I now have the rifle uh, in my hand. I'm on the clock. Bag goes down. I make sure the first bag is placed as, as well as I can possibly get it placed so that my first shot gives me the most amount of critical feedback that I can. Um, yeah, I'm just, we're just changing alleys here. Don't you then, worry about uh, that. Okay. Well, it's like Cincinnati, Peoria. I'm confused why we're going to Cincinnati. Are I'm just doing what the GPS house? says. No. Don't worry about it. Okay. Well, I believe you. Um, <laughs> I think. It just, it just threw me for a loop because I fine. would expect us to go through Indy. Um, I think we're adding time, just, but that's just for what's Let's just forget about it. All right. So once I'm on the bag, I'm on the clock. As soon as I place the rifle, there's a couple of things that are going to happen as the rifle is hitting the bag and I'm aligning it to the target without looking through it. I'm just coming into the gun while it's on the bag and I'm aligning it to the target. When I look through the target or through the scope for the first time, that will set another little micro-emotion off. Is the target in your reticle or not? If it's not, then you immediately have this sort of a little bit of adrenaline, a, a mini panic, right? It's just, whoa, why am I not looking at the target? I'm not used to not seeing the target in my reticle right away. I have trained enough to know that I'm not going to panic, but there is a, I have much lower amounts of call it anxiety or stress about not seeing a, retic- a target in a reticle now than I would have even just a year ago, two years ago, or three years ago. Especially at a square range with berms like k Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You can just look range. over the top of your scope and move real quick to the to the spot. But but it's a different scenario if you're out in the desert or in the mountains or something. And mm-hmm. you can, I think, you could induce that same same anxiety um, in different places for different amounts. I, I agree. Yeah, and here's here's exactly where I was going with this. If you have that stress, now you have to manage the stress that's going to cascade. So in my mind, or at least in the way that I've come to know Precision Rifle, every stage or every timed event is effectively a sort of a series of sums and minuses in, his, in his, what's hopefully a sum zero game or a net zero game. But it's not. It's a stacking game. And you want to end up as close to zero as possible. Zero meaning if you have stress. So I want to start the stage and end the stage with as little stress as possible, as close to zero as you can. Every time I have an error, you can add, say, 10 or 20 points of stress. And you get to 100, it's going to feel like your world is falling apart. So you set your gun down, and you don't find the target right away. It's not in your reticles. You have to search. Add 10. You search for, say... The first direction that you go, you pan right, I don't know, some amount, feels really large, you still don't find it. Whoa, okay, stress level just kicked up a notch, you go to 20. Okay, you're going to pan the other direction, you still don't find it. Oh man, now I'm at 30. Okay, now you're weird, so you know you make another choice. You look up, you find that, you think you see the target in your, with your eyes, you get the gun on it, okay, now there's the target. Whew, the, it ratchets down, but it doesn't go to zero. And it doesn't go to zero generally because you just spent more time than you expected. It goes back 10. So now you're at plus 20 stress. You feel like you have to make up some time. Mm -hmm. You go to the next position, same thing happens. You add 20 and take away 10. You add 20 and take away 10. By the end of the stage, you you also now know that you might have this innate sense of the the timer's about to go off. I spent too much time looking for targets. And now that is adding another layer of stress. Managing that is simply, it's almost just a mental fortitude trick. And I don't know what the trick is, to be honest. I I have just practiced enough where... The timer helps. The, the timer, yeah, I, I was going to get there. Okay. I meant in terms of without using external methods. I don't know how to manage the stress via an internal mechanism other I think, than... I think you have to force it because yeah. it's no... It yeah, doesn't do you any good to rush and get stress and not get hits. You can either yeah. time out making good presses or you can rush and miss. That's usually your only two um, your only two outcomes. Yeah, rush and potentially miss. You'll break 10 shots. You have a probability of hitting them. It's just not 100%. Uh, 
it's somewhere less than 100 if you're rushing all the time. This happened to me at Barrel Maker 2020, and that was the first day, first time that they did the 75 second stages on day two. And there's because there was a storm, a heavy rainstorm coming in. Oh yeah. And I was shooting BRA that weekend, and I was fireforming, and the the bullets were so long that they were almost dragging the front of the mag. And, you know, I don't do that type of stuff anymore, but, you know, you live and you learn. And I had feeding issues, and I actually had a mag jam issue on a five-position, big-small stage. So, ten shots, five positions. Was it the window? No, it was was just a stack of those corrugated tubes. Oh, yeah. And my first position went to close the bolt, and I had a jam. And then I tried to fix it by sticking my hand inside the action, but it wasn't, it was like bound up. So then I had to drop the mag, fix it, put it back in. I still cleaned the stage. But all I kept telling myself at the beginning of that was, okay, this isn't good, but if I stay calm and navigate through and troubleshoot through this problem and then just get eight good presses out and and get eight impacts, that's probably as good as most people are going to get on this stage anyway because it was a heavy mirage the second target the smaller target was really small and i thought an eight was good on that stage and i was just gonna i just told myself just stay calm and work your way through this stage and then when you get your eighth shot off scan at your timer and see how much time you have left and you know see if you want to rush to get those last two but i was committed that i was based on losing 10 seconds at the beginning of that stage i was gonna only get eight shots off well i got my eight shots off and they were smooth as silk and i still had 11 seconds left to get to the last position and shoot the last two shots. And then my stress level, we were talking about like levels ratcheting down. It almost went to zero. I'm not telling you, I'm not joking. Like yeah. 11 seconds is an eternity to move, to slide over on a, on a prop and press out two good shots that are, you know, the targets are only separated by a couple feet from each other. That's one position essentially. Yep. And clean the stage. And I still wasted 10, 15 seconds messing with my ammo and mags. So it's, it's all how, it's all how you want to interact or how you let your brain interact with this. And some people are going to have a harder time than others just based on the fact that everyone's brain is different. But if you if you just realize that you're going to either run out of time making good shots or you're going to rush and potentially miss shots, it's usually better to just stay calm and, and use the time wisely. I completely agree. And if we go back to K&M and talk about some of the characteristics of that match it's not a match that's won or lost based on massive amounts of wind reading skills right you effectively it's wind reading is a component of it for sure you can't send rounds to a thousand yards and not figure out where the wind is but it's just it's a very small amount so it's either zero or half a mil or somewhere in between and it doesn't get any really more than that on most days we've shot more but not by much now what does make it difficult is that the uncertainty of where your round hit, was it because of you and an NPA? Was it because of you and a bag that was settling funny? Was it because of your ammo or your gun or was it really wind or was it some other characteristic that you have yet to identify or that you incorrectly identified or attributed the miss to? Every every miss feels worse than another. It feels worse than, you know, one miss at K&M feels like three to five at most matches. And because of that, the stress level gets fast. It's, it's very high very quickly, even on one miss, because you know that essentially a clean match is, and I'm saying it with you know air quotes, a clean match is what wins that, that specific event, because it does require perfection. And as a result, any mistake, and this is why I'm coming full circle on this, any mistake can feel like your match is done. And that is, to me, the key, and something we see at all matches, we all have the ability to make this point... It doesn't matter whether you miss your first 10 shots or your last 10 shots in a 200-round course of fire. You are probably if you're probably going to win the match. Yes. Yep. For the most part, that would win any of these pro matches, with the exception of a couple. So yeah, if, if you if you get a zero on the first stage, you can still win the match. <laughs> Dave Preston. I mean, I keep coming back to that stage because of how well that went for War. What do you get a four or something like that? Like three or four on. Yeah on a 12-round stage, and then won the match by, I think, six. And then Kenny was behind him, and then it was another gap. I mean, they put a solid 10, 15 points between first and third. Mm-hmm. That that alone, I mean, it just goes to the point that every match is different. 
every shot is unique and every stage is just an opportunity to learn something new. Mm-hmm. If you can somehow manage to keep that into your ears, between your ears, and just really internalize it. It doesn't matter if I drop a shot here because I have a bunch more I'm going to hit. I have a bunch more I'm going to hit. Hey, I'm mm-hmm. going to hit these. I'm going to hit those. I'm going to do that. This looks fun. I'm excited to try that. That, that to me, it epitomizes what makes a successful match shooter. Like, when I say successful, I mean, you know, national pro-level winning matches. And somebody who is doing that regularly or semi-regularly now because it's really hard to pull that off because of the talent level. Um, to me, that says that they have a handle on their ability to handle stress. They understand their weapon system. They make really good decisions on the clock, and they take only the feedback that helps them get the next impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, avoid a miss. You made it. We've made a couple points that I want to go back to and touch on before we wrap this one up. Yeah. Um, you you keep referencing K and M needing to be a near perfect match, and that that that's due to the wind um, or lack of wind there. And there was. I want to say three to five shots that I did not, I did not make any corrections on because I saw kind of where they missed or I didn't see where they missed. And I knew that if I missed that target, it's, it's because I did something wrong. So I could not physically have been because of wind just on how the odds are either one of two, either a, it was, it was wind and it would have been so uncharacteristic for the wind to have come up that much and then borderline impossible that, it doesn't make sense to correct off of it for two reasons. One, the wind is not likely to be that again. It's going to be back to where it was. It's an average. Mm-hmm. Two, it's more likely and probable that we made a problem. We made a bad press. We did something else that unnaturally influenced that bullet further right, or yeah. it was too high. Like, we all have flyers. I mean, it, ha- it happened to me on two stages, um, and yeah. I had somebody come up to me on both of those stages, and they're like, oh, you made some good corrections there. You know, it blew you off the right and blew you off the left. I said, no. That didn't happen. <laughs> that was me. Like, every single press on that target was exactly where I'd planned to when I started shooting the stage. It, it recoiled weird on those shots, um, meaning I wasn't yeah. managing the recoil, my bag wasn't settled, or I didn't have a good, perfect trigger press. And so I knew that those were uncharacteristic of the environment and of my firearm. And so I did nothing different and hit the target on the next shot. And that was surprising to these people that were asking me questions because people ask me questions more and more these days because we we have the podcast and because of some of the matches that we've won and they value our opinion. And I said, you know, you can't make in this environment, there's nothing, there's no reason to miss this target other than, you know, you were not at your body's or your rifle's natural point of aim. And I said NPA and, and some people weren't sure what that meant. So we keep saying NPA, we're saying N. A natural point of aim and we're going to go deeper into that in some other episodes but um, I really feel like a lot of people miss the boat when it comes to that and if your rifle recoiled differently on that shot that you missed and you know that the conditions haven't changed with you know 90% certainty um, you can favor that direction if you choose but I knew in this environment my best my best plan of attack was to just use the whole target based on the the probability and the environmental conditions that were there and that was just do the same thing i did before but do it better <laughs> yeah and then the other thing i wanted to comment on which we haven't discussed in any of the episodes yet um is that we both run timers on our rifles and i mm-hmm. really i really think that that is a valuable tool to understand how much time has elapsed on the stage uh, it can be very comforting to know that you have like i described in the example from barrel maker you know 10 15 20 seconds left for your last position it's very calming it takes your stress level down um, more notches than if you didn't know and sometimes it's the difference between escalating your stress or you know de-escalating your stress knowing how much time is left right oh i 100 percent agree that that timer so i haven't really given this thing as much credit publicly as you know as maybe i should have i used to be the i would go completely let's just say walls out <laughs> balls, balls out <laughs> i said walls out no? i know um because i just that was how my brain was wired go fast go hard go even further keep pushing keep pushing you know, skill stage yada 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 the timer was the first time i've been able to consciously force myself to say don't leave this position for at least 12 seconds mm-hmm. use it you all know, I, mean, I mean breaking t- Building a position, breaking two shots, and getting out of it in six to eight seconds is not uncommon for me. 
Mm-hmm. But forcing myself to use 10, oh my, I mean, 12, doubling the amount of time, it felt like an eternity to my brain with the six seconds to eight seconds in the position, let alone 12. And now having to use that to reset my internal clock as to what the rifle should feel like, how fast I should move, how fast I should run the bolt, how long I should spend settling the bag, uh, acquiring a target, forcing the gun MPA versus fixing a, a problem with the bag and the rifle's alignment to the bag so that it's more natural on recoil. I have a much better clock internally to know when I have that time and when I don't. I'm still not perfect with it, but that's why I run a timer. Mm-hmm. It helped me reset that clock so I could have a better natural feel and real, more a realistic natural feel, not 60 seconds on a 90-second stage and feel like I'm still in a hurry. It's now, you know, 60, 70, 80 seconds is pretty common, and 70 to 80 seconds feels pretty leisurely. I mean, actually, really leisurely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I have all the time in the world, and I'm trying to even work on that even more. You know, to be, I want it to be an 80-second par time for me, and that, that's where I want to feel, just plotting along, and then I can speed it up with just a slightly faster body motion. But the, the mechanics of the time the rifle touches the bag... To the time I'm shouldering it, breaking a shot, running the next one, breaking a shot. I want all that to feel the exact same cadence. I'm in a makeup time with footwork in between. And mm-hmm. that, that timer, man, it's it saved me more points than I care to count. Yeah, me too. I've been using it since probably early or mid-2019 or something when it came mm-hmm. up with that idea. And it's been through a few different iterations. And there's other companies out there that make it other than mine, 5x5 five five Precision. but um, And I don't discriminate if you guys want to use somebody else's timer. There's definitely more elegant solutions. Um, you can use your watch. You can use your phone sitting on the concrete next to you if it's a prone stage, whatever it is. Um, it, it Knowing the time that is remaining is very comforting, but also knowing the time that's remaining can let you get those last few rounds in the air. And that, that helped me out this weekend. One time I got two, I got two impacts because... I was kind of slow playing the stage because I wanted to see where I was hitting and miss if I missed. And I looked down and I had 15 seconds left to shoot two targets, and they had they were at two different ranges at about 75 degree pan. And I thought, well, 15 seconds. I probably, if I didn't know that, I probably would have only gotten one of those maybe because I was taking my time to settle my rifle into the bag. So, so it helped me get one or two points there, and then it definitely helped me stay calm and, and clean a couple of the longer range troop line style stages when i had 30 seconds left to make two more shots i'm like okay this is silly i'm gonna slow way down here yeah look at the mirage take one last exhale and press through it so yeah that's um that's all i wanted to say about that is it it can help a lot of people reduce that stress level yeah um one other point i want to back up maybe a little bit and it's not a huge point but it is something that i'd love to talk about with you more we have another topic we want to talk about as well later on, I'm going to call it truing data, understanding your rifle, more or less, right? Uh, to yep. know your rifle's limits, limitations, what you need, how it changes over time, does it change? Uh, but one of the things that I noticed at is the relationship between your gun's group size. Let's call it the least, uh, the largest source of error, right? Or at least the magnitude of the, of the potential error sources. So let's just use a, a two, a one axis left and right as a litmus if your gun shoots approximately half inch or half moa group that mean, and you have a two moa target then that means that there are 1.5 moa split but one and a half moa available for you to use as a wind budget mm-hmm. right half in each direction or 0.75 three quarter moa in each direction or in terms of mills about two tenths so we're let's just say we shoot a two tenths gun we have approximately a two-tenths budget on either side of that as well to get stay within the target. It's a little over, it's like three-tenths. Um, that said, as you get to a, a large target, you have a big wind error, and a, you have a lot of margin of error for a wind call, and your group is a proportionally very small. So when you make a correction around the plate, you're making a very large correction to use the most amount of the plate as you can to get on the plate if you miss on a small target, when you're approaching one MOA, you only have a quarter MOA left and right, or less than one-tenth. 
not even, you could not physically click your, your windage one way or the other and have your zero any closer to the center of the target. It would be further away or off the edge when you yeah, start to get some like, of these one MOA targets. It's like when you're trying to zero your rifle and one click puts you on the left and the other yeah. click puts you on the right. That's exactly, <laughs> and now if you imagine those circles overlapping, your error due to your zero is essentially negligible. You have almost no margin of error, right? Left mm-hmm. or right. That means that for any small change in wind, you, we, we think it's wind immediately. We go, wind will put us off target left or right. When I see those misses, I hear, and this is where I think it comes back into what you said full circle. If you have any point of aim issues because you rushed a shot, I know that my point of aim will move about 50% to 70% of my group size. So it's about 0.2 inches total or about 0.1 left 0.1 right with under controlled conditions off of a prop on a bag that i know i can shoot as perfectly centered as i want i still have my point my point of aim to point of impact relationship moving about a total of a quarter of an inch um meaning 0.125 inches left right high low there's a little quarter inch circle in there that it'll wobble around Mm -hmm. that means that on a standard target my own perfect point of aim and point of impact relationship is already a quarter of an MOA off. Like I, I take, I took up most of that. Even though I'm going to shoot a half sub half inch group, I, I have to add in where that group will impact on target, and that's going to change every time I set my rifle down on a prop, even with a ton of training by a small amount. Now it could even be with a ton of training amount. and perfect parallax. <laughs> yeah. So you can see how all of a sudden, if it's a quarter of just because of me. And I shoot one group, and it's been low right, and then that's you know the bottom, say the far right side of my point of impact for my NPA or my ability to be perfect behind the rifle. Then I do it a couple times and go to this next stage, which just so happens to have really small targets, and I set my gun, and now I'm in a little bit different position, and it's on the far left side, and maybe the wind is, you know, feels like it's coming the other way, but you just dust one off the left, and then you make a full plate correction. You put it off the right, you make a half plate correction, you put it off the left. This is where you get caught into those traps. So what you said when you said you were ignoring certain variables, uh, when to when to correct from a shot and when not to, I don't want that to get lost amongst the people who are listening to this podcast. As, as the targets get small, your decision matrix and what you have to wait, is it you or is it the wind? They are always, the wind is always important. Mm-hmm. But in certain conditions... If you don't think there's much wind or the wind's been very constant, you have to assume that it's you and play the odds that it's just going to maintain itself and be the same. It'll come back to the average, if you will. I think you see where I'm going with it. Yeah, it's very, you, it's very tough for people to yeah. grasp onto this concept and agree with it because you see a round land in a certain place and you want to make a correction based off it. Measure and make yeah, a correction, right? Like That's what the pros do. They measure and make a correction. But... Like you're saying, as your as your targets are getting smaller, um, your the, the weight of your imperfection gets larger. Correct. <laughs> and so, um, I think a good thing that people can do to be able to figure out how to use this to their benefit is to start measuring where their reticle moves from prone position, from a modified prone position, from a bag type prop. Start measuring what that looks like. You guys have probably already have an internal idea but if you measure it and you can kind of create this snapshot of your brain of where your reticle moves when you make a perfect press and you're shooting at 100 yards on paper and you can see where it lands you know so that's how we know it's positive reinforcement that you did the same thing at least might not necessarily be the right thing but it's the same thing every time now when you go to a match and you see and this is was readily apparent to me on a stage last weekend um, the reticle moved so far to the right um, sorry so far to the left that the the target was, uh, it was almost out of the view of my scope. And so I said to myself, well, that's not right. <laughs> I am not going to correct based off of that shot. That is not right. Not right. And so then I settled it back into the bag. I pressed the trigger again and, and hit the center of the target. So that's what I'm trying to communicate here. And, and we are trying to tell you guys is um, if you guys don't, if you guys don't perform stuff perfectly, then you can't make corrections based off of it. And measuring where your reticle moves when you do things right is a good way to get a, a visual reference point of where, um, of where it, when it feels right. Yeah, and to be clear, what that means is 
bang, the reticle has moved up, not you forcing it back to the target and going, where did it stop? Bang, stop the rifle's motion. However, when it naturally stops, when you're holding it exactly how you normally would, whether it's free recoil or a hard clamp or a hard press, when the rifle naturally stops, freeze the rifle, look at your point, look at where the target is in relation to your reticle. I would even go so far as to sketch this out and draw it on a piece of paper, you know, during a session. Um, because, and I might even start tracking it in a match because I think it'll be useful. Um, just draw a little version of your reticle, copy or print off a PDF of your reticle, have a couple of them. And when you go to the range to practice prone, mod prone, bag, cattle gates, etc., do that and just put a dot. You know, here's a target. Okay, here's where it ended. You already, you know where it started. For the most part, it started on your crosshair. So just dial it down to the left or the bottom or wherever it is and, and get your solution as close to the point of your, your reticle center as you can. And then just draw a dot where on your reticle the target ended. When it does, after you're all done, you're like one, two, three, four, you'll have a really good little hot spot matrix of where your reticle is ending. And if you just keep those with you for a while, you'll be able to remember, this is what it should look like 90% of the time after I'm done. You'll actually be able to start just moving, boom, and move your eyes right to the target immediately because you know that it should end up in that area. And if it's not, whoa, something changed. I had to do something different in order to make that occur. Mm-hmm. So I, I like think this is a good chat. Yeah, it was a good chat. So, All right, well, we're getting a little turned around here. You weren't. You were wrong about the direction before, but now you're right. Um, I, I missed a turn right back there, so we're gonna we're gonna cut this one off and figure oh. out how we get back on track. I've always wanted to visit Cincinnati, which is would, due east of us. No, the, no, now we're way west. So, um, yeah. So um, we now are we're both, going to Chicago. We are both right <laughs> for we different. We were both reasons. right for different reasons, which means <laughs> that's a great way of saying that's a great. I like your mental attitude here because we were both right. <laughs> All right, sayonara. <laughs> See ya. <laughs>